This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Thank you, Shauna. Morning, everybody. It's a great morning, isn't it? Um, I just want to echo what Shauna said. If you were not here last Sunday, you want to go to our website. You want to click on watch. You want to pull up the video and you want to watch because it was a fantastic morning at New Life and uh, I enjoyed it completely and thoroughly and the future looks really bright. And just on the fun side, I thought, I wonder what the weather is like in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. (laughs) And it was a balmy 70 degrees here. And I looked it up, and they went home to four degrees above zero with a wind chill factor of minus six. (laughs) So they're on their way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So fun, so fun. Listen, um, I want you to get something out of your program before I get started teaching today. And it's this little thing about the two-ton turkey challenge. And I want to talk to us for just a minute about that. Those of you who have been around a while already sort of know what this is about. But if you're new to our church in the last year, we do what I think is a phenomenal thing. Redwood Gospel Mission puts on a great Thanksgiving banquet for a little over 3,000 people in Sonoma County who are either marginalized or struggling. And and they don't just put on a banquet. I mean, they pamper the people of our county with haircuts and manicures and pedicures and, and things that people that are marginalized and struggle virtually never get. And we partner with them by becoming the principal supplier of turkeys for that entire banquet. And... Uh, and, and God has met that need through us as a church for 15 straight years. Yes, indeed. That's an awesome thing. And, and so this year, we want to step up to the plate again. Our goal is 400 turkeys. And if you do the math, you realize we're calling it a two-ton turkey challenge, but it's actually a three-ton turkey challenge, Okay. <laughs> Uh, because that's sort of how that works out. We currently are somewhere between 130 and 140 turkeys. We have one more week, and I know every year we kill it at the end. So I'm just saying, let's kill it this week. Are you are you on board for that? Yeah, let, let's go way above and beyond. Um, and then when you sit down and you eat your turkey on Thanksgiving... You can eat it knowing that your brothers and sisters that you don't know are also able to sit down to a full Thanksgiving meal and that you and I made that possible for them. So the way you do that, all the instructions are on here. The easiest way is go to our Facebook page, click on the two-ton turkey challenge, and then just complete the form and hit the make a donation at the end. And you can pick however many turkeys you want you want to donate. And if we all do a little bit and some of us do a lot, we'll get there. Does that make sense? 
So if you can do a lot, do a lot. But if you can only do a little, do a little. Because it takes all of us to make that happen. It's all online. If you're not big into Facebook, you can go to our website. Click on the thing that says events and projects. Scroll down, you'll see the two-ton turkey challenge and the drill is the same from there. So let's talk about peacemaking. Okay? There's a reality that we all know, and here it is. Hello. Here it is. It's the 17th. That's today. (coughs) But, okay, the rest of it should say Thanksgiving's coming. Just so you know. If that hasn't dawned on you yet, it's coming, right? So it is the 17th. We have only a short time until Thanksgiving will be here. And you know, Thanksgiving comes for some of us What comes in that package are maybe some of our not-so-favored people. I remember as a kid, for our family, it was an aunt by the name of Thelma. And looking back as an adult now, I realized that life had never been easy for Thelma. But as a kid, I didn't know that. All I knew that something happened to Thelma along the way in life that led her to believe she had to be bossy, controlling, opinionated, and loud. And for whatever reason, she was blessed with a voice that's deeper than mine today. (laughs) And it was scratchy and rough. Now, that's not a great combination for kids and an aunt, right? Well, I have a little brother who's, who's 17 years younger than I am. And when he was three, quite innocently, I remember as we were getting ready for Thanksgiving, he looked at my dad and said, Hey, Dad, is Uncle Thelma coming? <laughs> you guessed it, it stuck. <laughs> Not to her face. But from then on, behind the scenes, she was always Uncle Thelma. (laughs) We We all have that stuff. Everybody has somebody like that in your life. And when you get together for family meals, they just bring a boatload of challenges. So the question that underlies this whole teaching series is what can we or should we do When a relationship either turns sour, this is a relationship that at one point was great in our life and it sort of warmed us every time we thought of them and for some reason now it's starting to grow cold. And there's a part of us that wants to resist. Or what can or should we do when we get thrust into circumstances and situations with people that we would choose not to be around, but the situation makes us be around them? Yeah. We all have them. And sometimes a relationship will turn cold and we don't even know what happened. Have you ever had that? All of a sudden, these people are just avoiding you. It's like, huh? Yeah. I remember in 2017 when we were shutting down our emergency shelter after the Tubbs fire. 
And there are a bunch of wonderful volunteers from our church that came in and started pulling stuff off the walls, folding it neatly, packing it away in tubs, and trying to get our church building reset so that the following day we could actually have church uh, in this auditorium. And in the middle of all that, there was a ton of things that were happening, and I was, I was looking for a piece of paper that I knew had been in the back room, and it, for me, it was an important piece of paper. It was the name of a woman who needed a house, and, and otherwise was going to be homeless, and I had found a house for her, and I wanted to call her and tell her that. But somehow in the melee of the shelter, that piece of paper got misplaced. So I went to the volunteer who was packing all that stuff up. And I said, hey, have you seen a little piece of paper like this? It has a woman's name on it and it says house needed. And she said to me, no, I don't think I've seen that. And I said, that's a really important piece of paper and I, and, and I really need it, if at all possible. Now, in that moment of time, what I said and what she heard were two different things. What I said was, that's a really important piece of paper. What she heard was, you have been careless and lost a piece of paper that's really important to me. So either you don't care or you're incompetent. Yeah, because oftentimes what we say and what other people hear don't exactly match. It's nobody's fault. It's part of being a human being. I walked away not realizing I had devastated her. And I didn't know that for the next hour she dug through every single thing she had packed away and she couldn't find the paper. And she had to come back to me and confess that she couldn't find it. When she came back to me, I looked at her face and I saw fear. I saw disappointment. I saw a tear or two trickle down her cheek as she said to me, I'm sorry, I can't find that piece of paper. Now listen to me. In life, we have what I call relation intersect moments. When we have them, we have the opportunity to either build a relationship or tear it up. Fortunately for me, this lady was courageous enough to come to me and to tell me how I made her feel. Now, in that moment, she was a peacemaker. And of course, I was able to apologize because that was not at all what I meant to convey. And we were fine. We're fine. But let's talk about this because today we're going to talk about me, myself, and I. Sometimes that's the unholy trinity. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> we all got that part. Okay, 
See, last week, Joel talked about, he, he, he brought conflict and put it up on the table. And, and he said basically about conflict that, that we have two natural responses. And one is flight and one is fight. And he called the, those of us that tend to run away, he, he used the term bye-bye. And for those of us who want to fight, he used the term bring it on. Yeah. And then he gave us a wonderful way to look at that that I'll review with you in just a moment. But for the purposes of what we're going to talk about today, Joel put the, he put the cookies on the table. Today, we're going to take the idea of conflict and we're going to take a look inside at what's going on in here. Because what's going on in here oftentimes is way more important when it comes to peacemaking than what's going on out here. So we're going to look inside. And then next week, uh, Pastor Angela is going to talk to us and give us some great, simple, not easy, simple to understand, to-dos that will actually help us. So last week, Joel read this verse to us. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. And he rightfully said that this was written by a guy by the name of Solomon, who was a king of ancient Israel. And one of Solomon's habits or or one of his hobbies was authoring and collecting wise sayings. And he collected them in a book. And God chose to preserve many of those in in the Bible. And that's where this one comes from. Now take a look at it. He says, never let love, loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them where? Read those last words deep within your heart. Solomon is saying to you and me, when it comes to peace and making peace, what goes on deep within our heart is oftentimes way more significant than what's going on out there. And Joel said, let's talk about loyalty. Loyalty is commitment. And if you want to write something down on that sheet, on that note sheet that Shauna encouraged you to take out, this would be a good thing to write down. Because... Loyalty is all about commitment. And here's the truth. When we're more committed to valuing the relationship than we are to being right, we'll probably find a way to resolve the issue. But if it's important for you to be right, that'll make that a lot tougher. Be committed to the relationship. Second thing, that... that quality of kindness. He said, it's all based around consideration. And it is considering the other person. And here's the truth. When we are more curious about why the other person feels the way they feel, when that's what we focus on, really trying to figure out why they feel what they feel. And we're more focused on that than trying to communicate to them how we feel we'll probably find a way to resolve the issue. Yeah. So having said that, let's move on to a truth that we all know. All you have to do is turn on the TV, turn on the radio, uh, any form of social media, uh, read a newspaper if you can still find one of those. Any of those things, 
let's start with an obvious truth. Our world is broken. Would you agree with that? It's very broken. So the question is, what broke? When did it break? How did it break? Because before we can actually work at changing our world, we have to find out what's broken. And in order to do that, we're going to take a little walk back in human history, all the way back to the very first couple, Adam and Eve. Before they had any kids, it was just the two of them. You would think if there's only two people on planet Earth, how hard can it be? Right? (laughs) Apparently it was harder than you might think. Because Adam and Eve decided one day to invite sin into their world. And you say, what is sin? Well, sin are those things that actually look good or feel good for us in the moment, but they turn out to be destructive and harmful to us and harmful to others. And the sad thing about all sin is it has a sort of addictive nature to it. Have you noticed? Yeah. These things tend to repeat. Now, God has a little conversation with Adam and Eve after they have invited sin in the world. And because they are his, his son and his daughter, as you and I are, the children of God, we just sang about that this morning, God sits down with his kids like every good father and says, we need to talk. I need to tell you what's coming. Because your world's going to be different now. I mean, way different. And there are a number of things that God says in this talk. And here's the first one. He said to Adam and Eve, you need to realize from this point on, normal and healthy are different. Prior to that, what was normal for Adam and Eve was also healthy. But he's saying to Adam and Eve, something broke in you, deep inside you. And when it broke, it made normal not healthy anymore. He said, let me explain. The new normal is a brokenness. And then he started giving illustrations. He said this, he said, sickness is going to be normal now. And anyone who has ever been born and ever lived has gotten sick, right? It's normal. Is it healthy? No, it's sick. We know that. He also said, Death is going to be normal. Last time I checked, mortality rates hovering right around 100%. Yeah. Death is normal, but it's not healthy. If you ever held someone's hand through the final chapters of their life and, and watched as death took them over, that's not healthy. That's awful. And then he said this, you're going to find that conflict is going to be normal now. It's going to be an everyday occurrence. And since there was only Adam and Eve on the earth at that time, he said to them, you two are going to get in a power struggle and it's going to get ugly. Now listen, I've been married 48 years and I love being married to Monica. She is the love of my life. 
but we have had our ugly moments. And I know they weren't all her fault. I get that. (laughs) I get that. Yeah. Conflict is normal. But friends, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. So let's dig into this a little deeper because even as God is having this conversation with his kids and telling them about the new normal that they're not going to like, and that's going to be a big challenge for them. And the worst part is you're going to pass it on to your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids, and you're going to pass it all the way down to us. And that's why conflict is normal for us. But even in the midst of having that conversation, God starts unwrapping a big idea. And here's the big idea. Why settle for normal when healthy is available? AT&T has a commercial out right now. And the whole idea behind the commercial is sometimes okay just isn't good enough. And the scene opens with... uh, a surgery patient that's about ready to go into surgery sitting on the bed and the OR nurse is there and obviously the patient has asked about the surgeon and and the scene opens with the OR nurse saying, oh, Dr. Francis, he's okay. And the patient looks at her and about that time you hear Dr. Francis coming down the hallway and he's saying, guess who just got reinstated? Well, not formally yet. (laughs) And then he looks at the patient and said, nervous? (laughs) And the patient goes, "Mm mm-hmm. He goes, so am I. (laughs) Eh, don't worry, we'll figure it out. See you in there. Turns around and walks away. You know what? In the same way that sometimes just okay isn't good enough. Normal is not good enough. Are you on board with that? Why settle for normal? When God makes available to us this thing called health. Now, I want to teach three more principles about that, and then we're going to go into the Bible and look at some scriptures. But the second thing is this. The big idea is that God was going to redeem people from this brokenness that plagues us, that creates this conflict and all the sickness and death and ill health and all this stuff, that God is going to redeem people from that and he's going to restore them to a place of wholeness. Wow. That the process is called transformation. That God's going to take this broken part of our nature, that thing that broke deep inside of us, that we were all born with, and it was broken when we were born. And God is going to say, if you give me that brokenness, if you give me your life, I will begin to transform your brokenness into wholeness. And the next principle is where it gets great. And God said, I'm going to start this process right here on earth. I'm not going to wait till you get to heaven. 
I'm going to start mending your brokenness right now. If you give me your life today, I'm going to start mending your life today. If you give me your brokenness today, I'm going to start mending your brokenness today. If you give me the damage that's been done in your life by people, some of whom intended to damage you and most of whom probably didn't intend to damage you, but they have. If you'll give me that damage today, I will start healing it and redeeming it and mending it and transforming it and bringing you each day to a place of greater and greater wholeness. And the rest of human history is the story of God taking that one message and weaving it throughout human history in life after life after life. It's why I invite everybody I know and encourage them. For this reason and multiple others, if you're not a Jesus follower, please do it. It's the kindest thing you could ever do for yourself. It's the greatest thing you could ever do for yourself. And it has a bonus. Because as you get whole, you begin to spill out that wonderful health on people around you. So if you're ready to do that, I'm going to give you a simple prayer you can pray right now. And I want to tell you that sometimes this gets communicated as a decision. Friends, this is not a decision. It, it's a journey, a lifelong journey that begins with a decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you want to sign up on that journey and get on the Jesus train, then here's the prayer you pray. You can bow your head and pray it right now. Say, dear Jesus, today I want to get on your train. I want to bring my brokenness to you. And I trust that from this day forward, you will begin to stitch me back together and heal me, and make me a blessing to those around me. I give you my life. Amen. If you made that decision, we have a thing called a New Believer's Quick Start Guide, and one of the resources inside it is a little book that will walk you through the life of Jesus in seven days. It is phenomenal. It will change your life. Because not the book, Jesus will. But as you expose yourself to Jesus, he will begin to change your life. For those of you who come to church all the time, you think, okay, good, we're done. That's always what the pastor does at the end. Not so fast, my friend. We have a few more things to learn. But I do want to say this. The quick start guides are available out at our info kiosk. Please, if you made that decision, please stop by the kiosk and pick one up. Take it home and read through it. There's a couple of other resources in there that will really help you. Now, let's take everything we've learned so far and let's tie it into how does it tie in to making peace? And let's start with a picture. That is an ancient human femur. That's the upper leg bone. And as you can tell, it was broken and it mended. Now, interestingly enough, many anthropologists will look at this and say that is the first sign 
of human civilization. Now, that's sort of weird. Why would they say that? Margaret Mead, a famous anthropologist, said it really well. The first indication of human civilization is care over time for one who is broken and in need. The truth is, if you break your little finger, you can probably take care of yourself. Might not heal right, but you can take care of yourself. If you break your arm, might not heal right, but you can probably take care of yourself. But when you break a femur, it's virtually impossible for you to take care of yourself. And the fact that that femur mended before the person died meant that someone decided to be civil toward them and to take care of them over a long period of time. Yeah. I just want that to sink in. Civility toward one another is learning how to care for each other in our brokenness over time. That's what peacemakers do. How do they do that? Well, there's another adage that comes out of the medical profession, which I love, and every nurse and doctor hears this sooner or later, and that is, we do what we do to cure sometimes, to relieve often, and to comfort always. That's what we do. That's what peacekeepers do. They look for solutions and they cure when they can. They relieve as often as they can the tension and the dysfunction in the room, and they do their best to comfort in the middle of brokenness, always. How do they do that? Well, here's the central idea that I want us to get as we dive into these passages in the Bible, and that is, to make peace, I have to bring peace. If I could say this sort of really abruptly and short, I would say this, Peace is not something you make out here, like a recipe, where if I just do this and this and this and this and this and stir really good, all of a sudden everybody hums and sings hallelujah and we're good. No. Peace is not a recipe. Peace is not something you make out here. Peace is something you bring from within. And when you, the peace that you bring often makes the peace that you desire. So in order to make peace, I have to bring peace. You know what's crazy about that? When you think about conflict resolution, when do most of us decide to try to resolve a conflict? When I've had it up to here, and when I am so frustrated, I cannot take this one more moment, I am so mad, I'm going to go and make me some peace. Dr. Phil would go, how's that working for you? <laughs> There's no chance in the world that that's going to fly. Because if you want to make peace, you cannot bring agitation. You cannot bring disappointment. You cannot bring disapproval. If you want to make peace, you have to bring peace. And the second part of it is this. In order to bring peace, you got to be at peace in the air. Really be at peace in here. Now, the brother of Jesus, whose name was James, understood this. He learned it from, from his older brother. And here's what James writes for us. 
What makes or causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Out here? No. Where's the battle taking place? In here. Huh. He's saying you cannot make peace out here until you have peace in here. Hmm. Jesus said it like this, and, and Joel read this last week, I leave the gift of peace with you. And then Jesus says, my peace. Listen, friends, the kind of peace that Jesus gives is different than the kind of peace you can make on your own with whatever your peace recipe is. The peace of Jesus is a peace that you receive as a gift. And then he goes on to say about it, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my what? Perfect peace. Now the word perfect doesn't mean flawless, but it does mean complete. So think with me for a minute. What Jesus is saying is if you let me give you my peace, then regardless of the turmoil going on around you, you can be at peace. Man, that's great peace. And when we can receive that peace and bring that peace to the Thanksgiving meal, we can actually begin to affect the culture of our family because we'll be bringing peace. When Jesus was sending out the leaders he had trained, he gave them these instructions. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And then he goes on to say, if someone who promotes peace, and one translation calls this a person of peace, actually, if you go back and look it up in the original language, that's what it means. If a person of peace is there, now the next part you and I can't miss. He said, your peace will rest where? On them. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, listen, friends, if you receive my peace, and you get my peace down in here, then when you interact with other people, the peace I have given you will go and rest on them. That's how you bring peace to the situation. Instead of agitating it, instead of escalating it, instead of contributing to the turmoil, instead of staking out your territory and, and making sure people know what you think, making sure people know how you feel, you will actually bring the peace of Jesus wherever you go and it will begin to overflow on the people around you. Now you've already seen this. I know you have. Because there are people in your world that you know no matter how upset everybody is and how unsure, and it could be some, some terrible event has happened and someone has been seriously injured and all of a sudden there's a catastrophe, you all know that there are certain people you actually don't want there because they will only make it worse. And there are other people you know as soon as they walk in the room, there's a peace that begins to settle. Huh. Jesus said, your peace will rest 
on them. This is why one of the guys that Jesus trained, who, who went out and, and just told the good news of Jesus everywhere and started churches all over the civilized world. His name was Paul. This is why he wrote to his friends this thing, which is the scripture I want to leave us with today. And that is, let the peace of Jesus, not your recipe for peace, let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts since you have been called to peace. Not from a standpoint of guilt, not from a standpoint of condemnation, not at all. I want you to ask yourself this question. What rules in my heart? What calls the shots in here? What sets the mood in my heart? What writes the narratives in my subconscious mind? If Paul could sit down with you, he would say, my friend, Would you let the peace of Jesus do that for you? Set the mood. Call the shots. Write the narratives. And when you do that, you will carry peace with you wherever you go. In one sentence, I apologize. It's long and wordy. Okay? In one sentence, this is the big idea. The best way to make peace is to bring a personal culture of peace that overflows from the heart and soul of a person who is truly at peace and who will remain at peace regardless of the circumstances. I want to pray with you and then I want to leave you with a picture that I hope stays in your mind throughout all of Thanksgiving and the holiday season and Christmas season and well beyond. So let's pray and I'll show you the picture. God, thank you so much that you have given us this wonderful promise that if we will receive your peace, we can be people of peace and that we can take a culture of peace with us. Everywhere we go, including our coming family Thanksgiving and Christmas meals, and including sitting in the company of people that are not our favorite, but that we can bring a culture of peace, and that your peace that you have given to us, and it's now our peace, can rest on them. Would you change us? Would you transform us? That's our prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.